Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, starring Donald Pleasance, Danielle Harris, Wendy Kaplan, and Tamara Glenn. Written by Michael Jacobs, Dominique Othenin Gerard, and Shem Bitterman, and directed by Dominique Othenin Gerard. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. It's time to wrap up our uh, Slasher 5's cask. And as we do each year, we always wrap up with Halloween right around the Halloween season, a day or two here and there. But from 1989, the year of last year's film, and uh, Jason Takes Manhattan, like I said, all three in one year, I was like, that's pretty cool. Halloween 5 um, from Mustafa Akkad, Trankus International Films. Uh, this is a wild adventure. I think I prefaced last week by saying, including the Rob Zombie films and Halloween Resurrection, the Busta Rhymes adventure. This is my least favorite Halloween film for a multitude of different reasons that I'm sure we're going to get into today. But do you recall anything about this film? Was this a rental for you in 89? Uh, yeah, it was a rental. Did you for catch me. it on TV? No, it was a rental for me. Okay. One time through and about the only thing that I remember was the staircase scene where Michael and Loomis are kind of playing cat and mouse and some of the frustration that I shared with the way that it was edited. So I think we get out far too early for some of the kills. I remember getting out far too early for some of the kills that we should see mm-hmm. um, and lingering for too long on stuff where there weren't any kills. Yeah. It's almost like maybe they weren't really wanting an R rating on this. Well, I think the, 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 I think they just got trimmed down. I think this was the era that the MPA was coming down hard on these particular films. So I think a lot of that stuff ended up on the cutting room floor. Whole scenes ended up on the cutting room floor. Uh, there's a weird scene. We'll get into it a little bit later where there's like, there's a massacre happening at the clinic. And then all the cops like rush to the clinic. And you're just like, what is happening in this movie? But they showed it in the movie. It was like this like massacre at this clinic and then you find out how michael got a cop car to come back to the myers house right mm-hmm. uh so just stuff like that like whole five minute things just who needs that story point i also don't think the movie needs to be any longer this is an hour and 37 minutes and it feels every minute of that length sure does uh we'll start with the question uh mm-hmm. and then we'll introduce the whiskey and then we'll get into the film uh this is a bit of you know uh oxymoron hyperbole whatever you want to call it i already kind of know the answer mm-hmm. You think John Carpenter's seen Halloween 5? No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, the only thing John Carpenter saw was the checks that they wrote him for using the theme. <laughs> right? Has he ever said where he jumped off with the franchise where enough I was I think it was Season of the Witch. Uh, well, it was his last, like, actual involvement in the franchise. But after that, I don't see him as the type of guy that would, like, be like, yeah, I'm going to go see 4 in the theaters. Yeah. Maybe late at night if he's bored after a Warriors game because he loves his basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he turned on Halloween 4 and 5 on AMC at 11 o'clock at night. But I don't know. He doesn't seem like the guy. And like, and he probably doesn't care. He's like, I don't care what this franchise turned into. Right. And then they tried to get him back for H2O, uh, the return with Jamie Lee Curtis. And he was just like, thanks, but no thanks. And it wasn't until these last three where he was like, I'll actually be involved and I'll do the music for them, which I was grateful for. I wish he'd come back for H2O. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would have been pretty fantastic. It would have. Because he, he was cranking around, like, vampires and ghosts of Mars around that time. Like, H2O would have been a much better product for him. And to 
Maybe just end the series there with him and the people that started it, right? Strikes me as a guy that just really had enough with the industry and just wanted to be done. Yeah. You, you can tell in the films, that those latter films too, they, there's just like not enough gas in the, in the tank. Yep. All creativity has been drained. You know, the days of Big Trouble in Little China and They Live and Escape from New York, like it's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. And you can't fault someone for that, right? Good run. Not like you have, you know, Ridley Scott making movies into his early 80s, Napoleon. Like, he just won't stop. He won't stop. <laughs> he won't stop. No. I think this mm, is a new whiskey for us this sure week. Is. I'm sure you've seen this. You've seen the commercials for it. I've actually never tried it. This is Tin Cup Mountain Whiskey. This is their straight rye uh, version. They do just a straight American. They do a bourbon. Um, but we haven't done a rye in a while, mm-hmm. but yeah, you'll notice this bottle from its, uh, little tin cup that goes on top. And I guess this can double as a shot glass. If you, I don't know if you're shooting this though, that's kind of a rough shot. Yeah. <laughs> but cheers to you. Cheers to you. That's what I would think of with rye. That feels like a rye to me. Pretty strong, right? Boy, that smoky on the back end. Do you get that? Smoky and corn, like you uh-huh. know, like kind of like that grain taste, mm-hmm. but in a drinkable way. Yeah. You're not good. just drinking liquid corn. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> liquid creamed corn. Uh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting like uh octagonal bottle. Yeah, that's that that's not bad. I think that's made out of out of Colorado. Yeah. Hey, we got we're gonna have a ton to talk about today. Let's dive right into our review breakdown of the revenge of Michael Myers. Alrighty, right off the bat, you know, we get this kind of weird, strange, ethereal music that kind of sounds like the Halloween theme, and then a lot of slashing going about. We think maybe someone's getting butchered, but and someone's furiously carving a pumpkin here for whatever aesthetic purposes. Uh, it's an okay opening yeah. sequence. I think I, the last one I really liked, if you remember, it was like the shots of like farmland in like Illinois, and it really felt folly and very pagan. Mm-hmm. Uh, those worked pretty well for me. And this is okay. It's not fantastic, but we're not here for the opening credits. Let's get into the movie. So this time out, we do get a previously on Halloween, uh, if you remember everyone and Matt yourself, if, uh, <laughs> uh, man, Michael Myers is giving these two hell at the end of the last movie. I mean, from the schoolhouse to on top of this uh, moving truck, uh, they're able to run him over onto, onto the side of the road, down a hill. Uh, and then here come the authorities. They shoot him up half a thousand times or something. And then, like, a scene out of, like, First Blood, they decide to dynamite this hole. Mm-hmm. And Michael's able to, like, scurry away down the right cavern or whatever and gets out of it as he's about, as he uh, floats down river. Is that, a good, is that a good enough reason for you to keep them alive? First of all, I don't know if Michael could take all these bullets. We haven't really gotten into the supernatural with this guy other than he survived this explosion in part two. He's burned all over. Uh and I guess him scurrying away is enough to get the the plot moving here, but are we on shaky ground already? Are we are we setting ourselves up for some interesting failure? Like, what do you think of just the, the genesis of the opening? You know, the flashback's nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's only been seven months since you saw the last one, so you better <laughs> <laughs> be quick with 
buff up on the uh, tricky plot points. Yeah, uh, it's it's fine. You can't kill him. I don't know if shimming out the side cave is before everything goes, you know, kablooey is exactly what I would go with. But I have to tell you, he's in good company with escaping via an underground water passage because that's the Bride of Frankenstein too. So, well, it kind of gets a little Bride of Frankenstein, right? So. Okay, you know, I, th- I think you have to look at this and say at five, mm-hmm. we're probably running on a very limited amount of story that we haven't told in some manner. Yeah. And we can mess around with how long it takes for everyone to realize that Michael's still there, or we can just cut to it and get to the action, which is Michael versus the world. So do I believe he survived the explosion? No, but I don't believe he would survive 6,000 bullets ripping through his body either. And this is an interesting because I'm dying to ask you this all day today. Okay. The boogeyman. Because do we both agree Michael is the titular boogeyman compared to the other two that we've had in this cast? But yeah, they call him outright the boogeyman in this series. Does the boogeyman in your mind Mm -hmm. ever take on a pagan or supernatural persona? Yeah. To me, it's always boogeyman, supernatural. It's always, he's always been kind of like a ghost, almost like a specter, right? Mm-hmm. Something a little more ethereal. Mm-hmm. So when they do lean into the supernatural a little bit, it doesn't seem that far-fetched with this particular series, right? Sure. Um, whereas, you know, but they're all a bit supernatural in their own right. Jason's about to become zombie Jason and just become the one of the undead. And then Freddy, Freddy exists in the supernatural dreamland, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I do think, you know, with Boogeyman, you can play a little fast and loose with the fantastical. Because I think I agree. Yeah. So if we both are on board with that, Mm -hmm. then bullets not having any effect on you, as they wouldn't spectrally, kind of makes sense. So I'll grant them this. Yeah. Let's get on with it. And I think it works pretty well in Carpenter's original, you know, when he shoots him six times out of the window, looks down, and then he's gone. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a bit supernatural right there. Like, how could someone, how could any human take six slugs to the chest, maybe a couple to the head, I don't mm-hmm. know, like where Loomis shot him, fall on your back out of a two-story house and not be, like, in a considerable amount of pain? I don't yeah. care how much rage is running through you. Eventually, you're going to stop. And that's kind of the cool part about that ending is that he is kind of an ethereal evil and that he is everywhere. Um and then here in this one, they're going to take it to like labyrinth levels of Looney Town. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, here in the opening, you know, we are doing a bit of a Bride of Frankenstein thing. He ends up at this old hermit shack. Hard not to see it. I don't think this guy's blind, though, like in, in Bride of Frankenstein. He's, he's making some sort of Campbell's soup here. Uh, and Michael's going to kill him, loses his strength, and then just passes out for a year. <laughs> the title card tells us. Mm-hmm. One year later, he wakes up from this death coma, ready to go, uh, and then we see that psychic bond uh, between him and his niece, Jamie Lloyd. Yeah, Daniel Harris. Daniel right. Harris, yeah. Talk about her in a second. But the first thing we got to talk about, as we do in all these Halloween films, do-do-do-do-do-do, Mask Gate, Part 5. Yeah. Matt, what did you think of the mask in Part 5? This, that, this one ranks real low for me. It's terrible hair. He's got like John Wick hair. He has like John Wick hair. It's real helmety and combed way too far back. Yeah, that's a bad, bad mask. It's a total slick back job with like some sort of like gel running through it. And then I don't know, like the the mask flaps. Mm -hmm. You got to tuck those into the jumpsuit. They're like hanging out the whole movie. 
Yeah, I don't. I just don't understand this constant. The mask is always screwed up in these films. It's true. Just go back to what you started with. If Mukasa, M- Mufasa Akkad had any job on this production, it was okay. End of Halloween 4, put that mask in a little suitcase, give it to me. It's going to stay in my office until we do the next one. Mm-hmm. They just, they just, 86, all the masks at the end of all of these these movies, except for the second one, which is the same mask from the first one. It just had a lot of Marlboro miles on it from Deborah Hill, mm-hmm. and it was fitting on a different stunt man that was a little more stout in the face. But man, we're 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 in bad, and that, that's part of what needs to work because I think there are a few moments in this film where they set up some good sub- suspense sequences with him lurking, mm-hmm. like in Rachel's closet coming yeah. up, and I was like, that scene would kill if the mask looked any way halfway decent. Yep. It just looks so silly. It's lazy. Yeah, especially when he knew that he was going to turn out another one almost immediately after four got done. Mm-hmm. How do you not just take one piece of production nightmare off the shelf by keeping the mask at the arms ready? Mm-hmm. <sighs> There's moments in this film where I find myself wondering, did you even really try right now? <laughs> did you even really try? Yeah. Because the answer seems to be no. This is a great example. Mm-hmm. Cause whatever mask that is, whatever makeup job they've done on that mask. And that's clearly is not Shatner anymore. Mm-hmm. It's a bad choice. Yeah. It's really a bad choice. You know, for all of the qualms with the Rob zombie films that we'll have one day mm-hmm. and how unwatchable those are at times, they got the mask right in that movie. Now yeah. they put it on a seven foot two man. Who's too big. Yeah. Tyler main wrestler, mm-hmm. saber tooth. And, but the mask looks great. It has this deteriorated kind of look from sitting in a basement for 15 years. And then in the David Gordon Green ones, I think they actually went back to the the original uh, mask mold from the first Shatner mask and said, let's just redo that, age it. And then they do some cool stuff with that mask getting burnt and kills and then into the, and just keeps falling apart. So the mask gets better. I will tell you, this isn't the worst mask that we will see in this series. Which is that one? H2O. Wild mile. Mm, okay. There's a CGI mask in one shot of that thing. Oh, Christ. There's like three masks in the movie. They couldn't decide which one they were going to go, so they're just like, yeah, we'll just have a, a few of them. Shame and, on and them. And boy, you can tell. Mm-hmm. And he's got like Marv hair in that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a inexcusable miss. Yeah, that, that feels like the first thing you should get right is the look of your boogeyman. To Friday the 13th's credit, I don't think they ever screw up that hockey mask. It's pretty nondescript. It takes some wear and tear. It gets, you know, a little zombified throughout the years, but they got that down. Yep. They're kind of screwing up Freddy's makeup at the same time, yep. too. So, well, point up on Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Uh, so the, the original opening for this thing, they weren't going to screw around with this hermit man because they really did want to lay the foundation of how is this man still alive one year later? So this hermit man is, they shot a whole opening sequence and then just didn't do it. He was supposed to walk up to this guy's shack, this voodoo doctor who they called Dr. Death. And he kind of put Michael on like an altar. And then he was the one that put the 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 tattoo on his arm. And he's doing a lot of ooga booga booga to, to, to Michael. And then he awakens, reanimates him one year later. Mm. I mean, that makes a little more sense for the genesis of the plot. If you do want to lean more into the the voodoo and the supernatural. That may make sense. I have no idea why they went away with that. Maybe they needed to cut some violence out, but 
think that plays a little better than just kind of this hermit? <laughs> yeah. One year later, just on the title cards, cheap. <laughs> Does he really need a year also? I got to regenerate. Right? <laughs> I don't know what's supplying the life force in him. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's not succubusing anything. He's not vamping anything. He's not eating anything. He's just resting. Yeah. It's just, that's just such bad writing. Yeah. That is you very think four writers would be able to come up with something better than that. <laughs> it is very Frankenstein. Like it's almost like he needs a lightning bolt to like awaken again, but we need to keep that far away from this franchise. Right. Oh God. <laughs> I don't need Michael strapped to a table with bolts out of his neck. I just struggle with the decision to let him get so close to death and then walk it back. He either is not affected by all of the bullets and things, or he is. If it's going to take a year for him to recover from the wounds that he's taken in this last shootout with these cops, Mm -hmm. then I'm led to believe then a well-placed shot between the eyes might do Michael in. And as many bullets have been fired at him as possible, that would have happened. And now you're starting to play in a space, at least I shouldn't say we, I'm starting to play in a space that you shouldn't play in with slasher horror. You have to take a lot for granted Mm -hmm. to buy into the fun of the boogeyman chasing you. A bit of slight suspension of disbelief, but I also do. Well, the minute you go like, are those three fifty seven slugs or nine millimeters? Like that's where you. Yeah, uh, we don't need to nitpick at that level, but we can nitpick at the level of each franchise does need to abide by its own set Mm -hmm. of rules Mm -hmm. and folklore, Mm -hmm. and I do not think Halloween is doing that in this initial entry. They're playing really fast and loose with the rules. Yeah, and you want to talk about walking something back. I thought the last film, part four, ended with, I think, a pretty good ending, which was the transference of evil into little Jamie Lloyd. Mm -hmm. And she goes upstairs, much like little Michael with the mask on, the clown suit, and stabs the mother with some scissors. And then you got everyone aghast in horror at little Jamie, now the killer. No! No! Loomis. Oh, God. Wait till we get to that guy. (laughs) They walk that back, much like... Corey Feldman in mm-hmm. part four, we're kind of setting these young kids up. I know that's a bit taboo and problematic and we don't want to see kid killers, but they've never tried it before. Mm-hmm. And it's, they set them up in the film and then they, they get too scared, walk it back. And then they just kind of go back to the same formula while also mucking it up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think Danielle Harris is pretty good in this movie. And a lot is asked of her, including yeah. having an old drunk man yell at her in her face for almost the entire duration of the movie. Yep. Uh, I think they could have pulled it off. And if he's, you know, in stasis in some sort of voodoo doctor shack and she's acting out to trying to find some way to bring him back, we got a better movie. Well, look, you just hit it, right? Yeah. If while he's sleeping, because they share some sort of telekinetic or psychokinetic link, then I buy her coming to bedside for him to help nurse him back to some version of boogeyman health. Mm-hmm. The question then remains this from the time little Danielle Harris stabbed mom in the bathtub till now, is that one calendar year? Is that six years? Is that eight years in the movie? It's almost instantaneously. Well, a year after his post shootout recovery, if you age her a bit, maybe the way they did Tommy Jarvis, Mm -hmm. then I find her a much more capable and likely running mate as his sidekick, his familiar, if you will. Yeah, there you go. And the slasher familiar. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. And then there's another piece in that that I think leans into story that they missed, and that's what happened between the time 
little Danielle Harris killed mom or stabbed mom with the scissors till she's where she is taking care of him bedside. Mm -hmm. There's story there too. Yeah. Cause she wouldn't be normal. And did she get sent to the sanitarium? Is she part of the Oak Grove? You know, there's a lot, but instead it's just, Oh yeah. She stabbed mom. We're going to put her in this hospital. We will demotivate her to do anything violent going forward to the point where she has no voice. Devoice her. (laughs) Yeah. And that should inoculate the killer enough to where we don't have to work. Cause you know, killers like Michael being so vocal in the way that he acts all the, what, <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. We're really, if the last film was like an alley-oop, it was like, we're setting up like a pretty interesting story for the next one, man. We're rim rocking all over oh the place. On this yeah. one. Yeah. We're, we're traveling down the court for the, the next drive. Right. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, it's turning into a mess, but, uh, you know, we see that psychic bond, you know, as he's awakening in the hermit shack, she's having almost kind of like a seizure. Dude, they're about to do a tracheotomy on this little girl. It's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. And then Loomis, I don't know what he's doing here in this clinic. Does he have residency here? <laughs> like, Just bursts out of nowhere and is like, no, don't do it. He's like, she'll, she'll get out of it. And then she comes out of this, you know, this medical episode. What mm. a weird, weird, he kills the hermit. So I guess he's out on, on, on the town now. Uh, and then, yeah, we're off to the races yeah, to reestablish. So Halloween day, there's a lot's going to happen in this day. We do reintroduce Rachel Carruthers, uh, which was Jamie's uh, foster sister from the last film where she was saying, and I, I tell you, I thought Rachel was a pretty interesting character. She really had to deal with a lot of bullshit in that last film, which was a, uh, her boyfriend sleezing on the, the sheriff's daughter. Right. And, uh, you know, having to be essentially the pop battle Michael on the roof of a house, mm-hmm. fight him at a school on top of a, a in a moving car. Yeah. Very capable, did the job. And here they just kind of had like almost like a seedling, uh, something you remember from the last movie. They also walk back that she didn't kill the mother. I don't know if you caught this line of dialogue, but the mother and father are going off on vacation for Halloween. Yeah. So she didn't even kill her. Nope. But that was enough to get you locked into this clinic. Muted and all weirded out. And boy, they're about to do Rachel a pretty big disservice here. You know, if you set up this, you know, very capable character that I guess fans did take a liking to in the in the last one. Yeah, you want to bring her back as a the surrogate sister that's gonna help her out of a jam again. They get some decent boo fare here, but this is this is one of the most unforgivable scenes in this entire franchise. I wonder if you noticed this. Oh my god! Setting it up. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> it is a bit, oh my God. Mm-hmm. All clear. Nothing above, nothing below. What about Max? Adobe, right? Oh. <laughs> this is not happening to me. Max! Max, what have you done? I'm so embarrassed. It's what we're here for. Rescue cats. Find dogs. That's a job. And we love it. <laughs> Bye, sweetie. I love you. You be a good girl. Bye. So she was perfectly all right. Come on, Billy. I think Jamie needs to get some rest. Jamie, are you okay? Come on.
Loomis walking into the door. You sense something, don't you? Tell me. Tell me what you know. Right, right, right. Right what you know. Jenny, please. Well, let's talk about the the setup here. So Rachel is spooked by, you know, a a call because Jamie's having kind of a vision of something with the dog. It's barking at something. Uh, She goes downstairs. The door's kind of ajar. And we do see Michael in the background uh, goes outside. And then we get these Keystone cops. Mm Mm-hmm. Who put that music in there? Come on. There's a slide whistle in there. <laughs> Bad. Abbott and Costello. Oh, I don't understand that. I mean, you're all about setting tone and you want to be nice and creepy. What did this turn into like mm-hmm. the, the Marx, the Marx Brothers? Yeah, exactly. And you know, I like slapstick stuff, but not in my Halloween movie. No way. But it's a bit of a false alarm. And then that's the first of the, the Loomis berating scenes. Get little Billy out of the room here, and then he's like, "You write and tell me where this man is going to be, so I can stop him." And then, like, she can probably smell that whiskey on his breath, mm-hmm. as you can smell it on our breaths right now. <laughs> but it's all for naught. Rachel goes back upstairs, blow dry her hair. Here comes Michael with a pair of scissors, and say goodbye to this character. She's she's toast. What's maddening about this is it takes on a stranger's mm. feel for me. He's been in the house the whole time. Yeah. She leaves, comes back. He's still in the house. And actually, that's the other friend, isn't it? I don't think Rachel ever leaves. I think she maybe stays. No, she No, did. no, it is Rachel's house. Yeah, yeah she, you're right. It just stays in there. Mm-hmm. Once you're in, you've already broken the seal of my interest and just do it already. Mm-hmm. What are you waiting for? Yeah. I mean, he's got her in the shower. Past then. He's got her in the closet. Past then. He's got her three or four other times. What is it that makes him at that point finally decided to do it because be in making this film the way they did and choosing to give these long delays when he strikes, you're making me really start to pause and wonder, has Michael turned over a new leaf? Which of course he hasn't. Cause there's no way with the title of the film, the revenge of Michael Myers, but yeah. is he softening? Is Michael losing his edge? Has he done this through four films already? And now he's getting tired of this whole shtick too. And maybe the guy just wants to sit on the couch and drink a beer and watch a baseball game. Because at no point in this story would Rachel have lived this long. Michael is maniacal in his singular focus. And that is ravagely kill in very efficient fashion. Yeah. If you want to set up and pay it off, that's Freddie's stick, man. Yeah. That's, you know, props and, Ooh, and I'm ga- in your house, Rachel. Yeah, gags in, in Dreamland. Yeah. Um, if you're gonna plot after someone, that's Jason. Michael's the guy in the shadows that's been there waiting, and the minute he sees you, it's over. Yeah, it's but curtain. not in this film. Yeah, curtains, yeah. He's really taking his time. Yeah, we'll get to that scene where he's driving Tina oh. to the party. Right? <laughs> with the mask on as she makes out with the latex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I think I wanted to see more Rachel. I thought they set up a pretty good. I think that I think they set up two good characters last time out, Jamie and Rachel. Mm-hmm. And uh, we want to see where that goes. And this filmmaker and the writing team just have no interest in that. So they're like, we didn't make the last one. Like this is our story now. So we're gonna introduce a new thing. So they introduce this new character, Tina. Which yikes, mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, she's a bit grating on the on the ears. Yeah. 
Uh, there's some fans out there that like Tina. You can like who you like. That's fine. But this character has never really worked for me because it's always felt like this needed to be Rachel, right? Yeah. You can make Rachel a little more promiscuous, you know, from the mm-hmm. last film after what she's went through. This Maybe that's her coping mechanism. They do something like that in the newest Scream movie, right? Uh, mm. But no, they, they 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 don't. They just, you know, lean into a whole new batch of characters. So you got her. You got this other character, Sam. Sam's boyfriend who works at a liquor store. And this other guy, I don't even know his name, who walked off the set of The Outsiders or something. Mm-hmm. His Ford Camaro, whatever. Yeah, what? Billy Squire listening to Ford Camaro, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... In between all that, you have Donald Pleasant. We're going to talk about him next. Mm. You got him really going to town in this movie. Her whole body was shaking. Every time a little girl twitches, I'm supposed to call out the National Guard. How many people did he kill last year? Have you forgotten? Your own daughter? I don't think. No, of course you don't forget. How could you? You never looked into his face, did you? You never saw his eyes. You never saw that... Nothing, no expression, blank. My memory goes back 12 years to the night when I offered. I'm going to show you. Show you something. Look, look look at this. Look at that. I prayed that he would burn in hell. But in my heart, I knew that hell would not have him. Sheriff? They want you down at the cemetery. Have we reached the point, or did we reach it three movies ago already? Maybe this is just a nondescript question as well. Lewis is crazier than Michael. Sure. I think from part two, when he shot him six times, and he's running around, and poor Ben Tramer gets annihilated by the Haddonfield Police Department. Do we like that in this character? Do we want him a little more grounded? I mean, I can buy it a little bit that he's gotten a little cuckoo after, you know, I've killed this guy four times now. <laughs> yeah. And I just, he just won't die. Uh, if he is truly the Van Helsing to this particular monster, mm-hmm. is, well he be, is he, on a scale of one to 10, how unhinged is Loomis at this point in the journey? I think he's 10 now. Here's the problem, though, Jesse. We've heard that speech from him 15 times already. Yeah, the, the genesis of evil, evil within. Soul, black, black. Oh, that's Robert yep. Shaw and Jaws, but it's the same difference, yeah, yeah. right? Soulless. Mm-hmm. We've heard that from him so much that you got to wonder if Loomis is just that unhinged and it's written that way because there hasn't been any linear writing as a team to follow up on kind of what was set up in the previous or throw something at you that's going to freak you out. Is this Donald Pleasance really figuring out this character and understanding and in his drunken elderly state, (laughs) looking at this and saying, look what you just said to himself as the character in the mirror. You've killed him four times. He keeps getting away. The only way is to stop having this speech where I try to talk him off the ledge about, I know the rage inside you, Michael, your sister, all that again, and become as wicked as Michael himself, because he hasn't tried that approach. The only way to fight crazies with more crazy. <laughs> and if the answer to that is yes, then that speech that yeah. we just heard, which I actually think is pretty well written, yeah. cannot have already been used 
three times yeah. prior to this. Yeah. And we know how evil this guy is at five films in, right? I mean, this is the guy that was on the street corner. Get your little asses home! In the middle of <laughs> the boogeyman chasing every innocent trick-or-treating kid in the world yeah. to their own doom. Yeah. So he's always been edgy. That's, I think, what works with Loomis. Yeah. That's why I like it in part two. I like it in part two because it almost seems like, oh, crap, I let this guy out. Mm -hmm. This is kind of all on me. Mm -hmm. And shit, I got to do whatever I can. If I have to shoot through a bunch of kids at this Ben Tramer yes. looking guy, yes. I'm going to take this guy down. Man, there's a lot of blood on Loomis's hands. Five, five films and four, 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 really. Three doesn't count. Isn't this movie set up finally? Yeah. To be the penultimate showdown between Michael and Loomis, it's that time. It kind of ends that way. Kind in, of. In a way. This isn't the last Donald Pleasant's appearance. But he's yeah. going to show up again. Mm -hmm. And the issue here is the Van Helsing to his Dracula is a perfect, perfect way to put it, Jesse. Yeah. At some point, Van Helsing has to learn like, oh, you know what? Walnuts aren't going to do anything against a vampire. Mm -hmm. I need a holy water. I need cross. But I feel like Loomis is still grasping at walnuts. Yeah. Trying to talk him back to, fuck, he's had 20 years yeah. of therapy. You've killed him eight times. Mm -hmm. Loomis, mm -hmm. what is really going to sell Michael this time on, hey man, I know the pain you're feeling from your sister and that shit sucks mm -hmm. and it's raw. Yeah. And I'm here for you. Come here, Papa. I mean, give it all to daddy. Yeah. There's, I mean, come. The, 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 I mean, the other thing with Loomis too, this is just a little snarky Jesse humor. Four films in now, we've seen this, this scarred up Pizza the Hut looking man. How is this man still allowed to practice, practice psych, 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 psychiatry, right? Mm -hmm. At some point, you do have to, you know, keep up your credentials and your continuing education as, you know, a licensed practitioner. Uh, at what point did the state not just take this man's license away and say, Loomis, no, you have to stop. He has free reign of this children's clinic. He's there every day, I think, and no one stops him. Nope. They're just like, yeah, sure, let this crazy man just run around, harass the kids, yell in their face, rip their Halloween masks off, and uh, everyone's saying how creepy he is. Remember VHF, VHS, that movie that we watched? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about the slasher killer final girl yeah, yeah, yeah. that goes back with a team of fodder <clears throat> to trap the yes. slasher... We both really liked that idea. Yeah. I think that's the third segment in that first one. Yeah. That's a really solid take mm -hmm. on what the final girl should do in a continuation that none of them ever did. Isn't Loomis in a place where if he has access to the children's hospital, a proponent of engaging in some of those very same actions, which is like, hey, here's this little... And we get it a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Like he does bait Michael with... With, uh, with Jamie. Yeah. Uh, instead of Juliet, but Jamie. But... Man, there's a lot of meat on that bone too. That who's crazier at this point? Yeah. Loomis and his dogged pursuit mm -hmm. of the unkillable. Yeah. Or Michael. The unkillable. The unkillable. Because <laughs> one of those, Jesse, to me, yeah. is a little crazier than the other. Yeah. And Michael is not the one. I got a few more sound bites of Mr. Loomis. So maybe we can come to a better consensus uh, by, by episode's end. I do want to read this quote from Donald Pleasance on five. This is a reading from the book Taking Shape uh, by Dustin McNeil and Travis Mullins. Fantastic. This is Matt. This is about the entire Halloween franchise here. No, oh, I should borrow that from you. Uh, so this is Donald Pleasance on part five. I think they should have gone with the fact that the little girl is now totally evil. I was disappointed that we now discovered that she did not kill her mother. 
I think the story is a bit stupid. We're obviously taking the Halloween series in a different direction. I don't know if I'm thrilled with that direction, but I guess it doesn't make any difference since I won't be around. <laughs> That's a guy who has mailed it in. Yeah. Blofeld, what are you doing? I know. He's a good Blofeld. He's yeah. a great Blofeld. I don't know. That That is that is Austin Eckler talking about Brandon Staley <laughs> right now. I mean, I guess he's our leader and we'll have to follow him because what other choice do we have? Let's see the press clippings from yeah. like, pitiful chargers this week. Yeah. He's saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I have to. I'm obligated to be here because they wrote the character into the script, but uh, it's pretty stupid, but uh, they're killing me. I die at the end. And I don't have a gig lined up anyway, and I got nothing to do for these four weeks, so I could use a little bit of money. I'm out of gin, so why in the hell not? <laughs> I'm out of gin. This is going to buy me a lot of gin. Right? Man, that's sad, Jesse. It's indicative. I mean, you know, talk, okay, we got the rush schedule. Donald Pleasance doesn't really want to be here. The script is just crazy. Uh I do like this little kind of cat and mouse chase. You know, Jamie sees Michael outside of the clinic and then she like runs into like the basement of this clinic and like the the boiler room. And we think it's Michael, but it's really just one of the janitor workers there. Orderly. And uh, it's a nice little boom moment because we need something to happen here. I mean, we're about to get 30 minutes in and not a lot's happened other than killing off a beloved character. And then we get this fantastic scene. You got to help me, Jamie. (laughs) You've got to help me to find him. We both know he's alive. But you know where he is! Why? Why are you protecting him? What about your stepmother, Jamie? You love her, don't you? He made you stab her. You can't hide from him. It always get to you. Jamie, Jamie, listen. Today in the cemetery, somebody dug up a coffin. It was a coffin of a nine-year-old girl. What do you think he's going to do with that? Huh? You're nine years old, aren't you, Jamie? Dr. Loomis, leave the little girl alone. Tears won't get you anywhere. Help me to find him. We'll find him together. There's a reason why he has this power over you. Did you ever wonder what it is? I'm gonna tell you something. Okay, I like that. You like? Yeah, I buy that. I, I get I it. Mean, I mean, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I I buy that. Why people would say, "Oh, that's come on," and like you're struggling with it. But I like that version of him after what you had seen mm-hmm. and the frustration of what 20 years yeah. of chasing this guy and final girl after final girl after final girl, and he should have been killed four times, and I'm still in the same fucking trench coat that I've had on since the first film and it's the middle of summer or winter that's all I wear and I've been burned and I've been resurrected almost as much as he has. I buy that. And you know what I love? My favorite line on that is tears won't get you anywhere. I love it that he tells that little girl you can cry all you want. Do you know how many times I've seen other ones cry? Yeah. Jesse. Yeah. This movie Mm -hmm. should... (laughs) should be the showdown of crazy and only a little bit more crazy. Yeah. It's right there. 
Or if you want a twist ending to really kind of shock. have him be Michael, or no, have him like being like the like cult the, of Thorn guy, the, the Renfield of to Michael, right? Like mm-hmm. that that'd be a nice. He's finally snapped, and he he can only live he can only live with this guy now. They're one in the same. These two. Do you think Donald Pleasance is doing a bad job acting right there? No, he's not doing. I mean, it's it's completely crazy. Take Loomis from Part One, where mm-hmm. he's very kind of composed, a little stressed out, but. Uh, yeah. Sheriff, I'd like to talk to you about the, you know this guy that's maybe coming to your town. Do you have a minute? Yeah, five minutes. We'll talk. Uh, to this, just just like attacking it, a little girl. Who it, can't do, speak. it does ring of desperation. I mean, he he wants to try and stop this boogeyman by any means necessary. The little girl's not going to help him. If she had an answer, she'd probably give it to him, right? But she's just as confused with this these weird episodes as as anyone else. So when he says, "I've been to the cemetery, and a nine year old's coffin was dug up." What do you think he's going to do with that body? A nine-year-old has no idea. Yeah. Is he going to eat it like the dog or is it something far worse? Mm -hmm. That shows how out of touch Loomis is. And I believe that arc for him. Mm -hmm. I get it that, you know, poor Danielle Harris is probably half, you know, drunk from the spittle coming out of his (laughs) mouth because he's so, he's sweating gin. Yeah. But- Loomis at this point as at, as is at his wits end, and I I believe it. <laughs> and I think the quote in the book yeah. speaks to that. Even the quote in the book that you just read, you could, it's almost like he's like, "Fuck, man, I've been chasing this guy for almost eighteen hours of film, or twelve hours of film. <laughs> we can't catch him. The story's getting stupid at this point, and I'm just hope they kill me off soon." Let me read this. Uh, this is some deleted dialogue, maybe from this particular scene that we just listened to. May, this You want to talk about it? I'd like to hear this coming out of Donald Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to do my best Pleasance here. Mm. Don't you remember last year? You stabbed her. You put on the mask of that thing and you stabbed her. I saw you at the top of those stairs. We both know that wasn't you. It was some part of the night, the evil in it. I am begging you to help me, Jamie. <coughs> Hang on, I need some bourbon. You had that down, man. That was good. <laughs> Here, do you want like strangle me as you're saying it? Is it really? <laughs> Let me spit in your face. While method I say this it. thing out. Uh, you are my only chance. Fine, then go on being frightened, living your life in terror. You've let him in without even a fight. That's all in caps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's in caps. Yeah, okay, he's <laughs> serious now. There's something special between you and Michael. <laughs> It's more than just blood, more of a sensing. I believe you can reach him in ways I never could. Mm-hmm. When he touched you, he gave you something, some key to his soul, to the love lost within it. Bring Michael to me. Help me kill him or to kill him forever. There's <laughs> a pretty good little dialogue there. I love, okay. Good to you. I don't know why. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. The exposition dumps that yeah. they have given Loomis in this series. Yeah is nothing short of absolute masterclass theater. Yeah. Here's this movie that is, slasher horror, as formulaic on the nose as you can get. And this guy is waxing poetic about the condition of man as seen through the eyes of a man chasing a soulless killer. It's almost what you don't like in The Walking Dead, right? I, I know, it's yeah. it's exactly that. But I love it that he's doing it and he's drunk and unhinged and all of that. It co- <laughs> totally works for me. Yeah, I could watch a whole movie of him just waxing poetic about Michael's condition <laughs> motivations. Yeah. Good job on the read too. And why did that not, what that was, that was too long. Yeah. We, we had to cut that. 
I love that he tells her your tears aren't going to make it any better. Mm-hmm. You little idiot. Yeah. You let him in. Yeah. If you're Loomis, Jesse, yeah. at this point in five, aren't you up to here with Michael too? Oh yeah. Don't you just want to go home and just drink yourself stupid? At this point, it might just let him kill me. <laughs> kind of right. <laughs> yeah. And here's this new little one that he's either got his hooks into and stolen his soul. Yeah. Or indoctrinated her into a version of himself that Loomis has been fighting. And you know what Loomis can't fight? Mm -hmm. Age. Yeah. He's only getting older. Yeah. Little Daniel Harris has a whole fresh start as young Michael Myers on Halloween in 1977. This this year? 19, no. 78. 78. Yeah. When he stabs his sister, that's Mm -hmm. 1978. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's 63. Oh, so yeah, it comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on, man. Yeah. I like all that. A uh, couple questions, and then we'll get back into the story here. One of them is related to the story. Uh, do you like all the... Because, you know, at some point in this series, they make a hard and fast rule to be like, you know what? This is too messy. This is too convenient. Michael's just whittling down the bloodline. But, you know, we've gone from Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode, my sister to my niece. Uh, and then we're going to keep going down that family line with another nephew in the next one. And then Josh Hartnett is his uncle too. Right. Uh, do you like all that? Or do you kind of like the David Gordon green approach? Or is like, you know what? I was just a rando boogeyman. You got in my way one night and you're getting in my way again, old woman. And I'm going to make everyone pay who's in my way. I'm that angry. Do you have a preference of one? David Gordon green. Yeah. Randomness. That's more terrifying. It's a little more scarier. Yeah, that it fits in with the first one, right? This this Lori Strode babysitter just happened to knock on my childhood home, and I'm infatuated. She looks like my she does look like my sister. I'm gonna follow her and see what happens throughout the day. Yeah, I'm also crazy. The first one's genius is set up and a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. We've talked about that ad nauseum. In the first tenish minutes of that opening scene, we don't know why he stabs his post coital sister. Um, you know, we've floated the idea because he's prepubescent, you know, is that the best he can do with penetration? And he really truly does care for his sister. Yeah. And so he stalls out at that age and maybe yeah, that's stunted sexually, yeah. The yeah, stunted sexually. So there's the frustration. And what does that look like when you're 45 years old and, you know, supernaturally imbued with the power of whatever bullets and mm-hmm. anti-bullets, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Okay. All that. And all that, that, that plays There's space there. Yeah. The other thing too, that also can play is it's just some rando weirdo mm-hmm. on the street that happens to pick you because you're lucky. Like all of the podcasts that you listen to on true crime yeah. and you just happen to be wrong place, wrong time, wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And he is dead set on winning this showdown. And that's terrifying. Cause yeah. that's you. That's me. That's every set of ears that's listening right now. Yeah. I think could be it, watching through the window. Yeah. I think it's just, I, I'm surprised they didn't try and, you know, do that a little sooner with one of these fresh restarts where they're just so hell bent on this, this Strode Myers bloodline of the conduits of evil, evil flows through them. But if I killed them, I mean, what, what does that accomplish? I don't even know at this point. And it's going to lead into this next question. What do you think of the man in black? Oh. Do you want to set it up a little bit? No, you do better. I think you've got it better than I do. Okay, so this film's churning along. It's insane. Loomis is yelling left and right. And then out of nowhere, this bus pulls up to the, you know, the drugstore. And we went to that drugstore in the last movie. Mm-hmm. 
you Johnny Cash gets off this thing, the man in black himself with his steel toe boots and his fedora and his duster. Uh, and you're like the, the gunslinger from Stephen King. Oh, exactly. Yeah, there you go. That's great. And as an audience member in 1989, October, watching this movie, how are you not like, what the fuck is that? Like, and then we just go away from it. And then he comes back a couple more times walking down the street Kind of like, uh, I guess this guy might figure into the plot of this crazy film, but really not. And then you kind of forget about him until the final scene of the movie. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, are we really grasping to continue on some sort of cliffhanger or ulterior element in this thing? He has the same tattoo as Myers, so they're coming from some sort of evil brotherhood. Uh, What do you think of that? And in screenwriting terms, this is what you would call a clusterfuck. Yeah. <laughs> Page one rewrite. Yeah, we got to go back to the drawing board on this one. Or mm-hmm. just remove it from the movie entirely. It's not like Michael can't break out of the jail on his own. We've seen him do that four other times. Look, the, the silver tips on the boots, it's hard not to feast on that and think, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And because they make him look Western, at least he looked Western to me, yeah. I thought, oh, there's a new sheriff in town. Michael's about to get his. Like, and a, then, ba- like a bounty hunter or something? Kind of. Okay, okay. And then somebody that has the tattoo would understand the motivations of Michael if you believe the tattoo is where those motivations came from. Well, first of all, as an audience member, we need to understand what that tattoo even means in the first place. Big problem just that hasn't line, been set up. A line in a triangle. Okay. <laughs> don't you want to see, and we don't have to get the guy's face, mm-hmm. but don't you want to see that guy sitting down with Loomis and will go over his shoulder behind him to Loomis. Sort of the way that I'm facing right now and the camera's behind me on you, but you can see the back of my head. And he has given him the version of this story that Loomis has never considered. And think about this. So we're sour mashing this because it's really easy to do it on this film. Yeah. What does that do to Loomis? Yeah. Because if this guy understands Michael in a way that I don't, then this guy is conceivably worse than Michael should this go south mm-hmm. and maybe now I need to team up with Michael because this guy's even more terrifying than he is yeah so then we're getting into slasher familiar and this is a totally different movie and it's also that's also way out there yeah to answer the original question what do I think of him I think he's really interesting it's totally out of place yeah but the movie hasn't followed the script of anything Halloween either sure and if we're being honest about it, two out of the last three films in the franchise haven't really followed the formula for Halloween Are you referring either. to Season of the Witch? Right. Yeah. So this isn't out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, it's just weird. It's just... It, it's weird. The way it shows up in the story, you, you would expect it to also accompany a little bit more explanation. It's yeah. just something that you're like, oh, wow, I need to take a note of what that whatever's going on there and see how it plays into the story. And I think the weird part is just how it just disappears entirely until the very end. You're like, oh yeah, this guy again, right? When this guy was introduced, yeah. did they have an idea in six they were going to go Cult of Thorn? No. Are you sure? Positive, yeah. I regret it in this book right here. So that's that, that's a huge miss. Then. Yeah, so that's the director, Dominique Otherin Gerard, was like, yeah, we needed like another thing to like set up some sort of cliffhanger, but that wasn't our pony and horse to carry on to the next film. So it was, again, another setup, and we'll figure out what the next people figure out. What horrible franchising, right? Yeah. That's almost as bad as the people that wrote the Star Wars sequel trilogy, Last mm-hmm. Jedi and the Rise of Skywalker. It's like, we'll set up this thing, and then we'll see you just completely undo it. Uh, again, I like The Last Jedi. 
But then the Rise of Skywalker had no idea, you know, what to do there, and that's a very compromised mess. Mm -hmm. You can only set up so many ideas without... You need to at least tell them, hey, we set this up for this purpose. Do with it as you please, or, you know what, maybe just write a different movie. Well, so then, if this wasn't going to tie directly into Six, as stated, Mm -hmm. did the director of this do Six also? No. (laughs) Okay, so it... All right, fine. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. If this wasn't initially put in here to play into six, then this had to have had a bigger piece in the initial writing of five. And this had to have been the bounty hunter to take down Michael. Yeah. It had to have been. Yeah, I don't know. It had to have been. Other than that, it's just it's just set up, right? Set up with no payoff. No, right. I mean, if if you could tell me, and you said you didn't. Yeah. If you could tell me, yeah, they put this in there so that we would get the Cult of Thorn in six, and that's... Do you want to talk about that now? So Because we're going to be spending time talking about the Man in Black here. <laughs> what Roland. You, what talk do you want to, you want to talk about? The the Cult of Thorn? Yeah, just give, give them a snapshot on that. Well, so again, this tattoo, we're going to find out, is this ancient Celtic ruin. What? Uh, yeah, that it's essentially a cult, literally a cult of these, like, you know, devil worshippers that, you know... <laughs> They're gonna. They've used Michael as this conduit of evil all the way back to 1963. So they're the one that instituted little child Michael to go kill his sister and start this path of evil, and then it ties into the bloodline of the Myers bloodline. Whether it's Strode Myers, whatever the hell, that those are the only people that can stop it. It gets it gets very muddled, but it's essentially an underground organization. It's a cult. And so then the Man in Black shows up as. So that he can rejoin the ranks and and attend, you know, weekday meetings, then fine. He's almost like a father figure. And then we're we're going in a different route, I suppose. But that's not what this was. This guy shows up with the same tattoo. So he has some knowledge of the tattoo and the world of that tattoo that Michael is also part of. I have to believe that it wasn't what he does in the end of the film. Initially, he had to have been the physical antithesis to Michael Myers, the the muscle to take him on. He had to have been. Let me read this uh, paragraph here. It says, while the man in black's appearance in the film was at least partly scripted beforehand, his thorn tattoo was not, nor was the matching ink on Michael's wrist. Both the character's appearance and matching tattoos raised many questions that Halloween 5's filmmakers were unprepared to answer. The burden of assigning meaning to those arbitrary plot elements would fall to Halloween 6, essentially handicapping that film script before it was even written. That's Mm -hmm. very well said. This clear lack of forethought with regard to the ongoing story was problematic at best. That no other Halloween had attempted such a narrative tactic speaks volumes about its merit. (laughs) Yeah, so it's strike. Yeah, it's 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 messy. I don't know how Mustafa Akkad wasn't just like, you know what, guys, kind of doesn't make sense. And I'll, we'll, we'll come back to it at the end because I had a very clear reaction to the end sequence of this film. It was very much a WTF happened. Where's this going? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll lead into that. But it's Halloween night. There's a big party happening at someone's farm. Uh, <laughs> Tina's going as some sort of maid. Her friend's going as a, as a devil with her uh, liquor store boyfriend. Maybe this is the night they're going to have sex for the first time. Mm. There's all those worries, right? Yeah. And you want to talk about, you know, losing your virginity in a farm. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then this uh, outsider's guy. He gets killed right away because we've shown that he really loves his car. And then Michael, like, keys this thing with a garden trowel. And then in pretty vicious fashion, trowels his face. Yeah. So that, that, that's okay. That was good. I mean, they cut away from it. You really can't see much. 
But then in something that makes next to no sense, Michael somehow knows to go pick up Tina at her house right. where Rachel was staying and then to drive her to the party. And then this, this, this scene's troubling. Tina's all over him saying like, you know, Oh man, why are you such a stick in the mud, Mike? Or whatever this guy's name is. And she's kissing this, like, what would you call this? Like a gangster looking dude? Like he almost looks like a Genesis land of confusion mask. Oh, they're very good. Yeah. That's exactly what it looks like. Very claymation. Mm -hmm. It's the, the nose is all proportioned out. And she's just toying with him. And then just as an audience, she's like, when's Michael going to snap and just do her in for just, you know, being like really annoying and don't touch me. Jamie starts having to freak out. They're doing like some weird, uh, like child Halloween costume contest at the thing. We'll talk about that scene in a second because the parents come to this. Oh, hi, little Billy. You did a good job. See you later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Go home now. We'll see you. Hope you're not crazy in a month. But she has an episode while it's her turn on the podium. And we get this crazy scene about talking about the cookie woman. (laughs) And there's this cookie woman on on the side of this, you know, gas station. So the cops swarm there. Michael Jets. Uh, And then, you know, Tina does show up uh, at uh, at Jamie. And, yeah, here we go. Let's continue the, the saga of Michael. Tina, don't go. I have to. Why? Because you might not understand, but when you're older, there are people you're going to meet who make you feel, like, connected. Like your heart is made of neon. And when you find them, you have to be with them. But he was with you. Who? The boogeyman. Oh, yeah, that's one way of describing him. He doesn't know. Honey... I will come back later tonight, and I will sleep with you right here. Tina! I'll be back. I love you. (laughs) Tina! All right, Bernie, let's get the chairs. All right, you stay. Why don't you stay the night? Oh, I'm sorry. I gotta run. Tina, please. Stay away, okay? You know, you're really creepy filling that little girl with all that boogeyman crap. I believe that you're in danger. Jamie believes it, too. Jamie's a nine-year-old girl. Be sensible. (laughs) I'm never sensible if I can help it. Tina! I got these over here. For God's sake, stop her! On whose orders? She hasn't done anything wrong. Follow her, then. At least she can do that. If that girl dies tonight. All right, all right. For you, Doc, anything. All right, all right, Doc, you know, no more. We, we can't hear this again. If this will make you shut up, we'll go We'll go take her to the party. Yeah, yeah, if that girl dies tonight, soul aside. But, oh, let's go. This guy's crazy. Hang on, we got to throw some strikes at Tina. You know, I don't care, you know, how good of a leg your boyfriend is. You know, if a child's crying like this to, for you to stay, you kind of got to stay, right? I yes. mean, dude, Daniel Harris has given her all here. But no, she's got to go dance with this pervert cat. I don't, We'll get to that yeah, guy. Yeah, what? And then I love that she comes downstairs and tells Loomis, you know, you're kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Filling that girl's head with all this boogeyman nonsense. But, you know, we can't keep her here. We got to get to the next scene. And Loomis is like, I guess Keystone Cops, you need to follow her. For what? God's sake! Yeah. Don't let her die tonight! If that girl dies tonight, the blood is on your... Yeah, come on. He's, oh, we've heard this five times already. Let's go. Come on, we got to get desperate. I didn't know Tina was the key to it all. Who did? <laughs> so we get to this farm, and this is crazy. This is a party I kind of wouldn't want to go to. Uh, 
A, it's a farm. Mm-hmm. B, her boyfriend's not even there, so she should have a red flag at some point. Or like, huh, that guy that like was supposed to bring me here, not here at all. Yeah. Uh, and this weird pervert cat, man, dude, he's like sniffing up her legs. Like, dude, what is that guy doing? Creepy. <laughs> is he the real villain of the movie? Maybe. Mm. Yep. But then the three of them go and have a tryst in the barn. Filled with more cats. Yeah, all these stray kittens all over the place. And, you know, Tina bails. She's like, I'm going to go find Mike. You two don't do anything I wouldn't do. And then this guy, dude, this guy's he's asking for a Ben Tramer because yep. have they not banned this mask in Haddonfield? I'm asking for the third time, right? You know, after the second film's events, it's almost like, you know what? You can't sell that in this state, in these state lines. <laughs> no, he's walking around like the guy, and somehow he got the same dilapidated version that our villain's walking around with. So he spooks his girlfriend because, you know, that's good foreplay. Mm-hmm. And then they get down on this hay, and they get down to business in a kind of interesting, sensual way. It's kind of shot pretty well. Yeah. It looks uncomfortable as hell. Oh, my God. I don't know. You don't, you don't want hay in those areas, in no. those crevices. Of course not. No. <laughs> What do you think of his demise, though? He, he This guy gets it pretty good with the pitchfork through the back. Pitchfork through the back is the quintessential kill of the film. The um, guard trail through the face is pretty good, but this is, you're going to get to see it. Um, and then the guard and scythe to whack her head off. To Sam. Yeah, this is a good part. The problem for me in this is we've watched Boyfriend pretend to be Michael Myers about five times. Mm-hmm. Pretending, pretending, pretending to where... Again, kind of in the stranger's fashion that we talked about earlier. If he's been in the house for three days, what finally decided to make me believe this was the straw? If you've already catfished me four times with the wrong Michael because it's boyfriend dressed up as Michael. By the time it happened, I was sort of... The context of the fear around the stock had already been exhausted yeah i don't think there's any no suspense here no a lot of the fun of the film okay so if we go back to great moments in this series the mask in the darkness in the first one where that's the only thing that shows through right before he texts Mm, yeah fantastic laurie strode is fantastic Mm -hmm. if you do that five or six times maybe it's not that effective but there's that moments in this film too with the guy that you think is michael in fact, not Michael pretending to be Michael again and then again and then again. By the time it gets to Michael, you've shot that load. Yeah. You've burned that candle to the very, very bottom of the wick. And now I'm exhausted and I just want to get the hell out of the barn and, and get on to what's next because I've climbed the ladder and had it kicked out from under me four times. I'm tired of climbing. Now. Yeah, I don't think it's, 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 it's well it is a good kill. It is a good kill. It's well orchestrated. I just don't think it's set up really well. The suspense isn't there. I mean, you got Michael's watching from the shadows going, man, this guy's cramping my style. He's like, I'm a better Michael than this guy. Um, but we do got to raise a body count in this thing. And he goes and gets the Keystone Cops, thankfully, in that, because I think they get a slide whistle or two right before that. And I got to ask you something real quick. Okay. If you take, okay, get rid of three, but if you go one, two, and four. Mm-hmm. Is there any version of Michael in one, two, or four that would have reacted the way this Michael did in the barn to the two that are there? What do you mean react? Like done what he does? So slow, so methodical, slow. Like, don't you think it would have been done far faster? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Before he could get the condom on, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I, I, how do he, you? He's just watching from there, just waiting. Uh, wait for my moment. I'll let them. Oh, uh, maybe I'll let them get a little bit going, and then now, uh, now it's time. Now it's time. Go back to one. Mm-hmm. The closet scene stabs him in the eye with the coat hanger. Yeah, fantastic cinema because yeah. you're fucked in there. You can't go anywhere. Yeah, it's set up in this film. Cornered yourself. Yeah, and what's kind of the Laurie Strode of this movie, if you will, per looks ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the closet. Pretty much the same thing, and he lets that one go. Mm-hmm. I I don't know, Jesse. These people have seen the franchise. Yeah, they know what's happening. You can make directorial decisions or story beat decisions that take it down this road or that road, but like you said earlier, you can't change the nomenclature of how the killer operates unless it's this movie, mm-hmm. and you're breaking all of your rules, and you're making Michael look far too con- far too contemplative. Yeah. For me, you know where Michael contemplates? Yeah. Is when he stabs you on the door and looks at his work two or three times like a dog waiting for you to throw him the snack. Yeah. In number one. Oh, look what I just did. I kind of don't understand it, oh, but wow. I just I just did it. Look right? at that. His feet are off through. Wow, look at that. Right? That's when he does it. Yeah, that's an effective moment. Yeah, that's a no BS. Like, okay, come on out. And it just makes me mad. That's why I said, are they even trying anymore? Yeah. Are you even trying? I don't think they're even trying. I mean, if this was Freddie, he'd be like, oh, is that a spade? Or are you just happy to see me? Exactly. <laughs> he'd be doing that stick, right? Right. I think Jason would get right down to it. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe Jason's winning this race at this. We'll, we'll, we'll get there in a, in a little bit. We'll do a little bit of a recap. But mm-hmm. um, everyone's dead. The party ends. I don't know where that pervert cat scampers off to. Uh, but Tina's here, finds the wreckage in the barn, and then finds Michael uh, in this car. So in between all the the barn shenanigans, Jamie's had another episode or vision that Tina's in danger. So she escapes the clinic with the help of Billy, this other kind of like stuttering boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he he knows where the he, there's a line where he says, "I know where the party is." Okay, okay. script. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> man, we would spend a like a week trying to figure out how to get them to the to, to, to the, the farm, right? And the movie's just like, oh, I know where it's at. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. So they show up, and man, Michael starts running down. He's like Dom Toretto running down Tina in this, mm-hmm. this Camaro. It's like, where did Michael figure out how to drive like this? Mm-hmm. I know he could drive to and fro had, from Haddonfield and Smith's Grove, but he's driving through the fields, the cornfields, through the thickets. Yep. And Jamie comes and is like, here, me. You want me. And so his focus changes. Oh, I didn't finish you last time. I'm going to get you. And then poor little Billy, man. I mean, uh, it's like Michael's like, oh, but wait a minute. I'm going to get you first. And he gets clipped, I guess, by the car. Mm-hmm. 
I got to tell you, there's a cool image here of Jamie running through this thicket and then like the, the, the light is illuminating through like the fog of the car chasing her. Kind of a cool shot. Yeah. Um, but we get into the into the woods there. Michael's about to to finish Jamie, but Tina does the heroic thing. Get out of here. And then Michael, you know, finishes her off. Does he? Finish. Would that stab kill her? Tina? Yeah. I mean, in movie logic, sure. Right. <laughs> um, real life, nah, it's going to hurt. You probably need a couple more. But yeah, I guess she's dead. Yeah. We see her later on the gurney and she's pretty lifeless. So mm-hmm. he gets her. So Tina's gone. Yeah. And so now it's just little Danielle Harris running for her life from Michael. And um, okay. Yeah. Loomis shows up with the authorities. They kind of scare Michael Oh, away. yeah, she's got that ace in the hole on her side. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> and so they got her in the ambulance, and it's like, oh, man, is this night over? Like, can I go somewhere else? And then Loomis has some sort of grand plan of, like, no, we're going to capture him at the house. And we'll use you as the bait. Yeah. She's like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> so now we get there for Act 3, right? I have to admit, though, that opening of Act 3 is pretty awesome. Or her like, up in the window brushing her hair like her sister or like Michael's sister did, Judith did. So that'd be her aunt. Yep. Yeah, yeah her aunt. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty effective moment. Yeah. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have all these cops. They're trying to have a plan of like when he comes, this I'll come out and I'll just guns blazing. Cops all down the street. Um, oh, I was going to say something about Loomis. Oh, Danielle Harris. What do you think? What do you think of her in this film? I mean, you know, per you know, kids' performance again. It's not something you know we cover a lot of on the podcast, mm-hmm. but when they do show up, I mean, you know, I always I'm at, I'm at the point where they either make or break the film, and I think two films in now, she's pretty good. Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the, and I said a lot's asked of her: a lot of screaming, running, shimmying in laundry shoots here in just a little yeah. bit, a lot of horrific stuff. I mean, if I was 10, 11 when she was making these things, I'd be kind of scared making these movies. Oh, yeah. Especially if I saw this guy with this creepy mask on. I mean, mask looks terrible, but that's still going to scare me at that age. Hell yes. So I, I got to raise it to her. I mean, it, nah. it's, uh, you know, it's not a Haley Joel Osment level of Oscar winning dialogue delivery, but per the genre, I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I'm part of, you know, like what Carol Ann really does really well in Poltergeist, you know, being kind of creepy, but sympathetic, you know, we want to like you. And I think we do at the end of the day, but man, this all goes to hell here. Uh, There's a massacre, an unseen massacre, an off-screen massacre at the clinic that that they left. Poor little Billy. Maybe something happened to him. We never know. The only thing we see is this shot of people being lifted onto more stretchers and Sheriff Meeker saying, and he had taken all the forces over there. So a diversion. Mm-hmm. And then Michael comes with the squad car. And then the plan now is get Jamie back to the station. We'll figure this out later. And Loomis is like, uh-uh. Locks them in the room, be, uh, breaks the, the walkie-talkie. We're finishing this tonight. Yeah. I guess, yeah, at this point, Loomis at the end of his ropes, kind of horrifying, but I guess let's see where this goes. But man, are they so unprepared. So the tagline to this movie was Halloween five Michael's back. And this time they're ready. I don't think they're ready at all in this movie. No, he just go. He goes through these guys like mince me. Yeah. Uh, this guy gets, you know, uh, this guy in the room that's going to protect her gets hung by this like makeshift escape ladder. He's trying to set up. It takes too long. And man, do Michael just Thanks. lets him have it. Mm-hmm. So then we got the final girl circuit here. Final child, little girl circuit. She's running. What do you think of the end of this? To me, this part has always seemed 
This is where I'm kind of checking the watch a little bit. It goes on, I think, a little bit too long, and I'm maybe getting a little tired of the movie at this point. Yeah. But there's a couple good moments. I think, you know, when, when she's in that laundry chute and falls down to the bottom. That is a good moment. Ouch. And then he's stabbing through as she's trying to climb up again, right? Right. I like that. I like that she's using the sides of the laundry chute to sort of wedge herself and scale herself back up the top. Because mm-hmm. you know what's a, what I thought about that? If she can just get high enough so she's out of the stab radius from Michael, then she's back to being safe. Mm-hmm. While she's stuck at the bottom, slim pickings, mm-hmm. easy. You know, shooting fish in a barrel or shooting kids in a chute. But if she can go up, then if she's out of the apex of his stab back into the laundry chute, yeah. she's got a chance. The problem, though, and I think this is effective, the laundry chute's filled with lint and it's filthy, which is going to cause you to slide this part actually works pretty well for me. It's it's a little long in the tooth, but it's a little long in the tooth because they've set us up with so much nonsense prior to this. If this is 120 in the film, oh yeah, I think we're happier. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that this chase sucks. Like this is the best part of the film. Yeah. And so then she finds, I guess she makes her way up to the attic, finds all Oof. the wreckage. She finds greaser. Rachel. Rachel. And there was, there, I think there's a third person up yeah, there. Yeah, there was. Um it was the guy that had the motorcycle, Mike, Rachel, and oh, Jesse. Let me see if I can pull it up here. But Body X. Body X. Mr. Body. She sees that empty coffin that was alluded to earlier, and then Michael comes up. Uh, I'll play a little clip. This is kind of interesting, but then also kind of infuriating at the same time. Uncle? Boogeyman? Let me see. So there was another body up there. I should know Michael Myers better. It was Max, the Doberman Pincher up mm-hmm. there. <laughs> so him, uh, the greaser, and then Rachel. In a weird kind of strange like altar. Again, if we had that voodoo scene, that maybe makes a little bit more sense on what they're trying to do. Transfer my soul into Jamie? I don't know what this coffin is doing up here. But in a weird twist of fate, they try and humanize Michael. But for a second, yeah. he demasks. I don't know why Michael isn't burned beyond recognition from the hospital, right? Right? He was scarred up the last time, and all these, he looks fine now. And then she's like, Uncle, like she's connecting with it, kind of almost pulling, uh, I'm going to put on a Mrs. Voorhees sweater and talk Jason down, right? Like, let me see if I can get through to him in a way that's just on his level. Mm-hmm. You're my family. He takes his mask off. And you know what I don't need in my Halloween movies? I don't need a little tear rolling down Michael's cheek. Like, 
are we trying to like really bring him that far back over the edge? Dude, this guy's getting the gas chamber if he's ever caught. So that's the problem is they've taken the edge off Michael with his plotting and his, I don't believe that he killed um, Tina. The cold-blooded, efficient killer that I've come to love in three films up to this point has now been De-mast. rounded. De-mast. Yeah, demast is a great way to put it. His edge is rounded. His blade isn't quite as sharp. And that's bullshit. Yeah. And for all of the sins that this movie perpetrates upon its very loyal going congregation, mm. this is tantamount to thou shall have no false gods before me. This is number one. You cannot do that to him. Yeah. He's not taking that mask off. He's not taking off for his niece. Yeah. He put it on when he killed his sister. Yeah. And he needs it on. It, it, and he yeah. hasn't taken it off since. So why would he do it now? Yeah. She, she finally found the words to soften the, and I, no, yeah. he works because I, there's no rhyme or reason to why he, we have been talking on mic, off mic about that opening scene in one to where he gets to in whatever version that's the, the flavor of the day that day, why he's done it for years. Mm-hmm. Why would you take that that shining moment of greatness away from John Carpenter, you, myself, and the family of Halloweenites that worship at the altar of anything Judith Myers by letting some rando third cousin or niece in a cup? What? Yeah, I like the tactic. It just, I don't buy it in this franchise. Especially yeah. when... Oh, God, why am I forgetting it? Um, Corey Feldman. Um, Tommy Jarvis. Tommy Jarvis already played that trick. Yeah, you already played that card. We are, we've already seen that. Yeah. I just don't know what the end goal is here. I was like, we've seen this guy mow through people, eat dog. Yes. <laughs> escape the bowels of hell. Burn. A sweet little girl's going to finally win him over? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if Laurie Strode couldn't do that, if Loomis has certainly, I don't, I don't know, he's got, the, he's got a yelling tactic. You know, okay, so I'm going to take you down a path for a minute. Okay. This is sacrilege in film history, especially Western genre history. Okay. You know what kills me in The Searchers? And you know what kills that movie for me? When they finally rescue? When he's finally ready to do in yeah. Natalie Wood. Yeah. And he picks her up in the air yeah. after seven years of traveling to hell and back mm-hmm. to find her. Yeah. And he's ready to finally kill the half-blood or whatever term he... It might be, it is half-blood, I think. Well, I think his reasoning, too, is like, oh, no, she's changed. She's, you know. She's savage now. She's Stockholm Syndrome. She's a different person now. And he picks her up and then lowers her, wraps his arm around her, and off they go. I get it. It's Hollywood, and John Wayne is not going to kill young Natalie Wood. I get it. But it destroys that that movie for me. This is... Not quite that bad because I would never compare this to The Searchers. Oh my gosh, yeah. Nor would I ever compare Michael to Ethan Edwards. Yeah, sure, yeah. But this is akin to that. Mm -hmm. You've worked so hard that you just disrespected all of the parts of the series that worked before with this moment of, Uncle, take off your mask and be part of the family. This is fucking... Um, history of violence. Dad, have some meatloaf and sit down. We're all good. <laughs> Ethan Edwards. The the movie, yeah. ah, dude, seriously? Yeah. This. Yeah, it's a rough moment. Deal breaker. Yeah. It's, There's been plenty, but this is the <laughs> deal breaker. This is the one, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's troubling. So, I mean, it doesn't last long. It spins him out and he goes back into rage mode. And then you got Loomis back there who has already been stabbed by Michael, slid across the gut. Thrown down its, uh, its top 
throwing off the what balcony. Yes. But he's still kicking around, grabs mm-hmm. Jamie, and was like, this is what you want. Now using her as a human shield. Yep. And it's just a diversion until he can, A, drop this steel net on Michael. It's a good plan. I'm good with that. And then trank him a couple times. Well, with man, that. that's not working either. So no. that I'm going to beat him with this wooden board. Die! 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 And I guess Loomis dies in the process? I mean, he... Is that right? He looks, I guess, from reading that, I mean has a heart attack and dies looking Michael in the eyes. I mean, if that's how they wanted to go out, I mean, they they did it, right? Mm-hmm. There's no kind of, you know, but it's, it's also vague enough for like, eh, maybe he passed out, right? Yeah. He's an old man. Mm-hmm. And then we take Michael back to the police station. For whatever reason, they let him keep his mask on. It's the first thing you take off of this guy. Yep. What serial killer, if you know, they they typically don't wear masks because they're just, you know, they're this, this is their mask, right? Mm. Like the Bundys and the Gacy's. Uh, No, that's evidence. That's the first piece of evidence. Mm -hmm. Where did you get this? Why? How? But no, they let him keep it as he twiddles his chains and then this man in black shows up. Oh, remember him? Yeah. Takes down this entire police force, which already was wiped out in the last film by Michael. This poor town, man. Jamie goes in to assess the wreckage. Carnage galore. It's like the T-800 walked through here in the first Terminator. Yep. Michael's gone. He's His jail cell's been blown out. Gone. He scampered off into the night with this man in black, this stranger. Yep. do, 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 do. Okay, I got to take you back to the first time I saw this. Saw this with with my buddy Josh, and uh, we watched it on a little 12-inch TV that was like inside a milk crate. on VH- It had a built-in VHS player, so on VHS, we watched this, cackled our way through because of how many people Michael kills, and they were supposed to be ready this time. Mm-hmm. This ending happens, and we're just aghast at like, what? What kind of an ending is that? <laughs> and okay, that's how he gets out. How does the next one start? How do they de-explain, like, what happened there? Man, I was troubled. I was just, and, and like, and like I knew it was, you know, not a good ending. I was like, that's, the, the only other ending that I can really compare it to is it's, you know, it's a cliffhanger to set up something that you're maybe going to get to. It reminds me of the ending of that Tim Burton Planet of the Apes when Marky Mark lands in front of the uh, Lincoln Memorial and it's Tim Roth ape and all the apes, Police are apes, and you're like, what? Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. It's all set up for a sequel that'll never get made. Yep. At least this one, they do pi- they, they, they do pick up the, the seedlings of this, but man, we are far away from Haddonfield 78 in Pasadena, California, yeah. right? Yeah, man. We're, we're really far away from, from that. We got cults, tattoos, bounty hunters, maybe. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What was what was your for you kind of coming in? I'll, I'll may as well say first time watch again. Oh my god! Yeah, really? What do you think of that? Oh no! Yeah, just oh my god! Oh my god! I had forgotten about the appearance of the man in black because he's gone from the film for thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. Him to break Michael out. I kept waiting to see little Daniel um, Harris mm-hmm. move down one corridor and see him laying in a bloody heap on the ground. Like the guy just went in and killed everybody. There's a new sheriff in town. Or something. That doesn't make any more sense, but at least it gives... This is just some Hail Mary parachute nonsense. So they just hopped in the station wagon and drove off? I guess so. Thelma and Luis style? They got back on that bus. 
Everybody's talking at me. <laughs> I just, um, exasperation. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit glad it was over. Oh, yeah. But not with that ending. Mm-hmm. Or, well, with that ending, but you know what I mean. Just, just utter failure. Just failure. That being said. Yeah. As much as we don't like the man in black and the way it ends. Had they delivered on what that could have been something cool, not, you know, high-ranking priest in the cult of thorn, blah, 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 that's coming in the next. I, I guess it could be worse. Yeah, it could be worse. And that's, of course, it could be worse. It, but could, it could be worse than that he just shows up at this end scene and we've never seen him before. There's a seedling of what is that? It, like, you know, you're we exasperated it. in what, but there is a little bit of where is... And I kind of want to know. We need a couple more scenes with that guy, whether on the bus, reading through some files on mm-hmm. Jamie Lloyd mm-hmm. or something where he's just like, this guy is up to no good. He breaks into the clinic and is like looking for records. Yes. Something, some, something along those lines. He can't just show up and just walk down the street with his bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, of all the endings in this entire franchise, it was the one that was just like, what? How? I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. You choose to end your movie like this. What? Why? Why did you go that way? How does the audience not leave and just be like, I guess that was the ending. How do you just not being like, it's, it's such an unsatisfying ending. Yeah. But, uh, that's how it ended. <laughs> that's what happened. Uh, this film had a $3 million or $5 million budget, $11 million gross to this date. It is the lowest grossing of this entire franchise. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it was either, I don't know, fatigue, but maybe they saw through the bullshit, right? It was just like, you're making another one so quickly, hold, pump the brakes here. How good of a movie could you have possibly made? Mm-hmm. Um, What's the lag between this and number six? Uh, 89 to 95. Oh, so nice six, six years. Six years, yeah. It's also going to switch hands. So Trankus is going to ship this thing off to the Weinsteins at Dimension. Yeah. Uh, and so a year before Scream, which is also, I think, maybe going to have, you know, not a such great effect on this movie in that it's, it feels like a, the slasher made before Scream and that it could have benefited. Mm-hmm. And H2O is a movie that's definitely made after Scream. Yeah. And Kevin Williamson also wrote the draft of that screenplay. So. That helps. Uh, but yeah, they, they, to their credit, they tried to take this alley-oop and were like, okay, crazy town. Let's see what we can do with that. Let's see how we can shape this world and this story and oh boy, is that a wild adventure. Yeah. Two versions of the same movie that are completely different. Mm. Man in Black's Colts of Thorn, Celtic Runes, Paul Rudd's first starring role. Uh, you want to talk about a wild ride? Yeah. yeah. We got that. Buster Rhymes? Not yet. Seven. Nine. Nine. No, eight. Eight. <laughs> like how I have all that in my head? What, what great <laughs> knowledge is just, I can just, you know, can help me out of a jam, right? <laughs> you never know. <laughs> None of this is like some sort of trivia contest that I could win a, a fat stack of. Um, what was your favorite tasting note, moment, scene, sequence of, oh no, favorite kill of Halloween 5? Mm. You did kind of say pitchfork through the back. You sticking with that? I think it has to be. I kind of It's kind of the only one we really get in its full glory, isn't it? That was pretty good. Garden Trail's good. I think the garden site is, I mean, it's all off screen, but... Michael with farming implements, I guess, but mm-hmm. he wields them pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so one of those two in the barn. Okay. Like I said, it's it's an odd scene in that it's set up oddly. Some of it works, but the Michael motivation and all that is very strange. Yeah. 
What is the oh my God! moment of Halloween five? Oh man. Um, I think it's the scene when Rachel comes out of the shower after she has, I believe already gone downstairs in nothing but a towel to then come back upstairs to rifle through her closet where Michael is hiding in the shadows, watching and doing nothing. <laughs> Just, Just wait, waiting for his moment. Not, you know, not Norman basing her through the people. Just hanging out in the closet. That's oh my god! That oh, oh my god! You really don't like that, right? It's I mean, it is no. it is a bit of strange. Dude, you're about to get. Dude, check this out. I don't know if you knew this was on the horizon. Next April, the Strangers trilogy. Oh fuck! It's uh, Strangers Day One, and you know who's spearheading this new trilogy of Strangers films? Mm-hmm. One Mister Rennie Harlan. Oh no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But it is a bit of stranger syndrome where it's, yeah, almost pulling the rug out of, of suspense, right? It's just, now they're just kind of, now they're just kind of dicking around in the house. Yeah. yeah. You're right. I really don't like that film. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it one day. We should. Yeah. I think that'd be a good combo. Did mm. you ever see the sequel with Christina Hendricks? Nope. I thought that was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think that takes place years after the events of the first one. Uh, my, oh my God. Oh, the end. Everything. To have to do with the end and the man in black. It was an oh my God back in 05 when I was 14 years old or what, wherever, how old I was. And it's still an oh my God. I just, I can't believe the franchise has gotten to this nondescript entities. And yeah, we just, I, I guess we accept it. Yeah. You know, if I could have ever had one conversation with Mustafa Akkad, I'd be like, how did you allow this to happen? <laughs> That's why I want to add John Carpenter. What'd you think of the man in black? He'd just be like, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. You care too much, Jesse, about this franchise. Probably would he tell you. You want to play some video games? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, who's the master distiller on Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers? Daniel Harris. Yeah? Yeah. Well, Pleasance, you were high on Pleasance too? Yeah. Um, I, I think he's been good from the beginning to the end. And I think he stayed pretty consistent, although probably more intoxicated now. Has he overstayed his welcome in this series? Not for me. Okay. Uh, the way you said it was so perfect. He is Van Helsing yeah. to Michael's Dracula. Yeah. And you have to have something that helps us bridge the gap of the unknown into why Michael does what he does. And I don't know if we get a ton from Pleasance other than just the vacuousness of a madman's soul. But I I look, he's you know what you're gonna get. That needs to be a, an album title. The yeah. vacuousness of a madman's soul? That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coming soon from Pearl Jam. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you? Uh, yeah, Daniel Harris. I've always, yeah. you know, th- these two films, I, I really like part four. Part mm-hmm. four gets a lot of play in my ro- Halloween rotation. This one also does for, <laughs> dude, I'm, dude, I'm just a sadist or some, some of this stuff. I'm a masochist for just the gluttony of the Halloween stupidity. But she's always been a bright spot in this franchise. And guess what, people? She's going to come back in the Rob Zombie films playing the Annie Brackett uh, character. So mm-hmm. uh, and she's pretty good at that, as that character, too. So you don't get a lot of good kid performances. Like, Corey Feldman was good, but we, like, we, knew, we rattled off his little run there. He was good for a period. Yeah. Um, same here. Uh, it's, I think, a bright spot in a pretty murky pond. Mm. 
Uh, how are you going to rate and grade Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers? We have Rock Gut, Well Call, Single Barrel, and Tippy Top Shelf. It's Rock Gut, man. Bad film. <laughs> Bad film. You want to say what you said off mic to me about 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 this particular film? That it was, was a rough watch, a well, real, well, real well, rough watch. Well, that it was the worst of the 15 we've seen so far. Yeah, I'll say it. So we're 15 films in our slasher horror cask, and this is 15th. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is the worst. Oh, man. This is the worst. Yeah, I might agree with you there. Um I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna go completely rock gut. I'm gonna go well minus. Like, like we're there. Like we're we're there in the bowels. Mm-hmm. But I can't give it completely rock gut because like I said, I do watch this one a lot. Mm. And maybe I'm doing like weird research trying to figure out what doesn't work. Yeah. And so if it was rock gut, that means I'm not playing this at all. It's collecting dust in my little collection, but did you have to watch it again before the show or did you have it it's so fresh in your mind? You I, I, you I think before any episode, I think watching again brings a lot of new perspective right. into particular elements. Um, so like noticing is like, Michael doesn't have any burn makeup on him in this one. That's cheap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it gets a lot of play, but the decision-making in this thing is just preposterous. You know, this thing does need to be yanked away from Mustafa. God, I don't think the, the dimension films is the right place for it. But at that time, in the mid-90s, there, who else was really doing horror at that? Or taking a chance on a sixth sequel in a horror franchise. They were doing Hellraiser. They were doing that stuff. So I guess I get it. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's real far away from Carpenter's original. But, yeah, it's just an odd watch. And it's it's real sleepy at times. Like, it almost, like, it, it toys with wanting to put you asleep. Mm. And the, the last film didn't. And I, I, I'm going to end with this and then our final question and uh, roundup. I saw this Fathom events did when I was in high school years ago. Uh, Halloween 4 and 5 back-to-back double feature one night. And you better bet your ass I went. And I sure. dragged a buddy with me. And, yeah, 4 is great. Had a good time. And then they – and credits in. And then they immediately roll 5. And, you know, part towards the end, they're just like – Let's go home. Can this end? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm done. I'm tired. It's a school night because they always roll those out on a Tuesday. Come mm-hmm. on, people. Do it on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. It was only me and him, and there was two other people in that theater. Damn, that's it. Yeah, that was it. It was just mm. like not a lot of Halloween four and five fans here, are there? No. Nope. Um. Yeah. Real, real, real troubling. But hey, I did that, you know. And I have to be a little bit. I'm. I, I. This is my favorite of the franchises, so I can find little nuggets of appreciation in all of them. But this is, this is pretty bottom of the barrel for me in this franchise. It'll go up from here in weird, strange ways, and even. The Rob Zombie stuff, I find I found things to like, but man, you want to talk about a great conversation we'll have one day. Mm. So I, I've been waiting three weeks to do this. <clears throat> we'll end these little casks with which franchise is in the best shape and which one is in the worst shape at this current juncture in five films in. But let's, go, three, three, two, two, one, one. Yeah, but let's do a little bit of recap um, as best as we can. I think we could agree, you know, for the ones, Halloween, yeah. probably taking the cake. Nightmare 2, making a pretty good case, though. Mm-hmm. For the part twos, Halloween 2 is real solid. Mm-hmm. Friday 2 is pretty solid. Yep. You really didn't like Nightmare 2, right? No, we struggled with that a lot. With Jesse. You got the brains and I got the body. <laughs> yeah. Oy. Then when we get to part three, it gets odd and crazy. Yep. Season of the Witch is a weird, strange juncture. Uh, night, uh, Friday part three in 3D. Yeah. I think we can agree Dream Warriors is probably the best of that batch. Right? Easy, yeah. And then the part fours, we return with Halloween four with uh, Daniel Harris and Donald Pleasance, pretty solid. Uh, the Dream Master, Rennie Harland, I think we were pretty high on that. 
Uh, but the winner there might be the final chapter of Friday, right? With yeah. little Tommy Jarvis. Yep. The fours, that might have been the best slate of movies. I think co- you're right. Collectively, right? Mm-hmm. All righty. Fives in. Let's do three, three, two, two, one, one. We might have the same here. So let's go three. Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Which it's, is saying something because I don't want to give away number two yet. But for this to beat where two is and the absurdity of that is is really saying yeah what happened yeah this is halloween seems the most lost on yeah where it could go next there's doesn't seem like there's any direction or trajectory that even cowboy make, cult members yeah that even makes the most uh most sense right yeah and that just changed me i think I, we started strong but man we've fallen on hard times in halloween town here so yeah that's my number three i bet we have the same number two for sure nightmare, nightmare. On Elm street yeah <laughs> yeah the dream child dream child we've got you know, Freddy fetus. Um, and Freddy fatigue. Hashtag Freddy fatigue. Exhausted, and it's still better than this film we yeah. did tonight. We're a little Freddied out. He's a little bit of a joke. But they did take some big swings in that film, and there are moments that, that work pretty well there. Um, but as a whole package, eh, mm-hmm. still pretty well-ish. <laughs> Call I, minus, will, yeah. I, I will say this. Mm-hmm. Both three and two have pretty awesome openings, though. Yeah. That whole pumpkin, I think we didn't do a whole lot of that. I think that's visually really fun to watch. Credits, yeah. <laughs> that pumpkin gets getting shredded. Yeah. We talked about how much we both liked the clawing effect. Mm-hmm. Oh, during the sex scene? A yeah. sex director mm-hmm. directing that. That was awesome, too. No, 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 no. He's not the porter. That was Friday. Oh, that, oh my bad. It's Stephen Hopkins. My bad. You're right. So that gets to number one, then. Yeah. Can't believe it. Two years in a row? Friday's in the best shape. It's not even really close, is yeah. it? In a bit of a puzzling effort, right? Mm-hmm. Copycat killer, that motivation really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Nope. But it's a wild, fun ride, and they still at least set it up where it can go somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm still invested in the Tommy Jarvis story where I'm like, are you going to make this guy a killer or not? Mm-hmm. Or is he the Van Helsing of this franchise? Go one or the other ways. It's crazy to say two in a row. I mean, mm-hmm. we might make it three in a row next year. What? We'll have to see. We might. <laughs> This is a weird, strange experiment, man. I don't think I've ever seen another horror podcast that does it like this, where they every consecutive year, it's the next batch. Where are they six films in, seven films in? Have they hit the restart button yet? Are we rebooting and de- decommissioning certain aspects of the franchise already? Have we gone to space yet? I mean, it's wild. Usually a podcast will do all of them all at once, mm. or they'll kind of cherry pick here and there. Um Trailblazing, Jesse. I kind of like it. It's it, it's it's fun. It's a wild ride. And I think it's a fun just to have fun with some, what, what, let's be honest, mediocre films yeah. that we can have some fun kind of nitpicking, uh, sour mashing, and just having some fun with. Don't have to get so, I mean, it's not like doing Oppenheimer every week where that's, right. that's kind of, that, that's that's a big investment and... No, that, that podcast is work. That's cerebral work. Yeah. This is this is easy. Yeah, this is a lot. This is some fall, fun. fall fun, right? Right. Uh, well, to that, to that, um, let me, uh, let's, let me play some music and then we'll set up what's gonna, what's gonna come here.
right, so we're getting into November. It's time to get out of spooky month. Weather's getting colder. Time to get to some bigger stuff. You know, the Oscar stuff is kind of coming out around this time. Some big budget uh, December fair. Um, maybe we'll get to some stuff that we're thankful for towards the end of the month. Yeah. But um, there's an interesting release coming out in the middle of November. A franchise that you and I have talked a lot about off off mic, sometimes on the podcast. And it's a franchise that goes in weird, wild, strange directions. And I like some and I kind of hate some others. Joyously thrilled and uh Hopes dashed disappointed. Yeah. But um, there's a release coming out kind mm-hmm. of under the radar. Not hearing anybody talk about it, no. but it's The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. So it's That's the right. prequel story. I guess it's the President Snow origin tale yeah. uh, uh, leading up into The Hunger Games. So it'd be our first time to talk about that particular franchise. Uh, we could see if there's some meat still on that vine. Mm-hmm. Uh, meat on that vine. That doesn't, some, uh, some meat on that bone, some fruit on that vine. Um, some vine on that skeleton. So let's do a prequel cask. And this is something we've also talked about on the podcast, which was prequel by nature almost feels inferior to storytelling Mm -hmm. in and of itself. Right. Being that you already know what comes after it. So are you clever enough to tell us interesting stories to get us invested in characters that are going to lead up into stuff we already know. That's, oh, so f- that's a hard writing gig right there. Hell yeah, it is. And if we're going to do that and we set the bar high, then let's go with three. Let's go with two, I guess three if you're including the Hunger Games. Okay. Three very successful franchises that have plenty of source material to backwardly draw from mm-hmm. and see if we can refute our claims of prequels just blow. Let's do it. So... I'll pick first, you pick second, and then we'll do the Hunger Games well, third. Whatever you pick, I mean, second sort of decided, so... I'll see how that worked. I leave it to you. All right, so we're going to start next week with a franchise that we haven't covered, but we have oft-talked about, and some would argue it's the best in the entire, I think, nine films that have the title X in front of them, and it's not X-Files, but the X-Men. I think you're going to make that argument. I'm going to come pretty close. Yeah. But X-Men First Class. Yeah. X-Men First Class. I can't wait. I, I'm ashamed that we haven't done any X-Films. I don't know. Maybe we just don't want to talk about Brian Singer. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> um, but this is kind of their prequel set in the 60s, the origin of the X-Men. They recast all the classic characters mm-hmm. and introduce some new ones. Yeah. Make some arguments on these castings might be better than their original counterparts. Kevin Bacon next week. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about this film. Yeah, this this is this is going to be a great watch. We get to talk about the X-verse and what this looks like and then what comes after. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be fun. I think that this will be really good. Great setup. Um, you know, so if all of these are like, oh, there's a Marvel movie coming out that they're not doing. We're not doing the Marvels. So mm-hmm. we'll replace it with this instead. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a good cast. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and the second one we've talked about a, a lot, too. And uh-huh. I think th- th- it's time to talk about a good version, a good film in that particular series. Amen. Yeah. Well, to that. To that. Thank you for joining us for Spooky Slasher Month uh, this October. We'll see you all again next year. But, hey, before we go, uh, Connell Cochran wants to wish you a very... Happy Halloween. And we don't want to leave because, you know, Donald Pleasance, he's got a little special message for you as well. (laughs) And you know what? The people of Haddonfield, they also want to say something to you as well. Michael Myers will be executed tonight. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. (laughs) 
That best film, the last film sure did it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So to all that, to these legendary franchises, hey, we're still talking about them. Yeah. Um, but hey, we got to get going. We got some bus fare, but I don't know if I want to get on this bus. There's a creepy looking guy at the, at the front there. I don't know if he caught his boots, uh, but yeah, I'm not sitting next to him. We're on a road to nowhere. Yeah, you might have to wipe up my bloody nose in the back seat over there. Uh, but hey, we'll see you all next week, everybody. Have a good week, everybody. Happy Halloween. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers is property of Trancus International, Magnum Pictures, and Galaxy Releasing, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Yeah.